Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the Heritage Hour. I'm Mark Gonzalez, your pastoral encourager here in Southwest Florida, and so delighted to be with you on this Saturday morning, as we've been doing here for almost 30 years now. And most recently, though, we're welcoming a new listening audience up in the uh, greater Atlanta area with our good friends at WAEC Love 860 AM, and also to those of you that are listening on online at iHeartRadio and uh, or TuneIn Radio. And some of you may be using the Love 860 free app. But anyway, it's so good just to be able to welcome you all to the family as we just come together to sit at the feet of the Lord, to gaze into his eyes and let him speak to us heart to heart. And if you've had the chance to join us in the last few weeks, you know we're in a series as we head toward our Easter weekend coming up in just a few short weeks. We're looking at portraits of God. We're number three today, and this is one that I'm really excited about because it dovetails with the daily spots that I'm also doing during drive time uh, in the morning and evening during the weekdays, uh, a, a spot that I call Whispers of God. And so today, uh, I want to unpack that um, pretty pretty significantly, pretty deeply, uh, in a passage out of 1 Kings chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, uh, because the Lord is indeed our whispering encourager. He's our whispering encourager. Have you ever thought about that? It is so good to know that the Lord has said very clearly he will never leave us or forsake us. And I do believe that the Lord is always whispering to us. And we give we get a, a really good glimpse at that here in 1 Kings chapter 19 in the life of a prophet named Elijah. And as we get started, as is our custom, oh, let's just go before the Lord and ask him to speak, shall we? Well, Father, you know how much I just love coming together with my brothers and sisters to sit at your feet and gaze in your eyes and let you speak to us heart to heart. Today, Lord, uh, I pray that you will really help us just receive the reality that you love to be our whispering encourager, especially when we're struggling. And Lord, it's no secret that this year of COVID-19 and counting and all the financial uncertainty and the lost jobs and the disrupted schedules and the social distancing and the wearing of masks. I mean, so much. We've lost so much. And it's a whole new paradigm about how to live. And it can be overwhelming. And yet to know that you are constantly right there being our whispering encourager, well, Lord, that's just so good to know. So, Lord, as we walk through this passage... May you just embed it deep within us that we might not just know about this, but we can live it out as well. Oh, we thank you, Lord. And we pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his precious cleansing and healing, empowering, oh, and forgiving blood. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, my friends, if you have your Bibles, open 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to get this account of how the mighty prophet of God, the one who in chapter 18 had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, 
on the mount and a showdown, a big victory. Well, news got back to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and Jezebel issues a death threat on the life of Elijah. And how does this mighty prophet of God, fresh off a victory on the mountaintop, reacts? Well, surprisingly, in one sense, but not surprisingly in another. Here's what happened, beginning in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19. And he, that is Elijah, was afraid and got up and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked for himself to die and said, Enough! Now, Lord, just take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then verse 5, Then he lay down and fell asleep under a broom tree. But behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise and eat. Now, let me stop there for a moment, because as we go along in, in, in reading this chapter together, I do want to kind of just highlight some key themes, and then I want to give you some uh, takeaways here uh, at the end. But here's, here's some of the, the first uh, key themes that I'm saying. Threats and fear will often come. You know, it wasn't unusual uh, for him to get a, a death threat or violent reaction from the king and the queen as, um, as Elijah had defeated and killed, actually, the 450 prophets, their prophets of Baal, uh, these false prophets. And so threats are going to come in this life, threats of all kinds. And, you know, unfortunately, it can come from your parents. It can come from bosses. It can come from teachers. It can come from neighbors. It can come from political action groups. I mean, so many things threatening uh, our well-being. And fear will often come. I mean, that's a natural response. Now, there's no sin in that. Now, giving in to it and wallowing it, there's where the sin comes. But having that initial sense of, of fear... Uh, is not a bad thing. It's a very human thing, my friend. So don't let the enemy condemn you if sometimes you wrestle a bit with fear. Jesus said you will have tribulations. You will have threats. You will have things in this life that are that can be overcoming. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So this is a great story of the reality that threats and fear will come. Well, here's the second key theme. The result is often fight or flight. You know, the first reaction, if you're the uh, bold type, if your spiritual gift set is such that you're very proactive, can-do kind of person, you're going to muscle this through, you're going to white-knuckle it, that type of thing, well, your reflex might be to fight. But most people don't have that. And if we were to get very honest, behind the bravado of the fight, there's also a desire for flight, to run off to run away. And that's what the prophet of God was, was doing here. And he runs off and he goes and he just uh, just, just uh, falls on his face under this tree and just says, that's enough, I've had it, I'm done. His flight was so far, he wanted to fly this earth. He wanted to die. Lord, just take 
me home, and he lay down, and he fell asleep. Don't be surprised, my friend, and don't look down on people. When they go to fight or they go to flight to this degree, it is normal. But the Lord is right there. And I love how, in this case, an angel comes and touches him and says, Arise, eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a round loaf of bread baked on hot coals and a pitcher of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Now verse 7, But the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too long for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he journeyed in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. I've got to say a couple of things here. You know, sometimes the best thing we can do when we're just absolutely overwhelmed with fear or discouragement, uh, whatever it may be, that's, that, that we're feeling overwhelmed by, sometimes the best thing you can do is eat a little and sleep a lot. Now, some people are going to eat a lot, <laughs> and we can often do that, but, you know, eat a little, sleep a lot. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just get some sleep. You know, uh, there are times when you might just need to get away so far so you can sleep. And you might sleep for hours and hours and days and days. You know, you just have a routine of long times of peaceful, hopefully, rest in the Lord just to catch your breath. I love how the Lord gives us elbow room to do that. And then eating, it's so here arise and eat. In this case, it was angel food, and I love how this angel food helped him be sustained for forty days and forty nights, apparently, on a longer journey. And where does that journey take him? Well, we pick it up in verse nine. Then he came there to a cave, and spent the night there. Here's another theme, you know, when we're doing that fight or flight thing, and we choose flight, we'll often run to hide in caves, metaphorically speaking, of course. In this case. It was literal. He spent the night there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. The sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they have sought to take my life. Now verse 11 So God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But... The Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Or as another translation puts it, the sound of a still, small voice. A whisper. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his 
cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. The sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they've sought to take my life. Hey, have you noticed he said the exact same thing as he said the first time? You ever get motor mind? That's what I call it when something's just going over and over and over in my mind, something that's bothering me. Maybe it was a conversation I had with somebody and I'm thinking, oh, I should have said this or I could have said that or a situation is coming up and all these things and options are coming to my mind over and over and over and over and I can lose sleep. Am I, am I the only one or can you identify what I just said? I mean, it just goes over and over and over. It becomes a narrative that gets stuck on repeat. And anytime somebody asks you, it's the same thing just keeps coming out. Maybe not verbatim like in this passage, but the themes are exactly the same. What does that tell us? It tells us we're stuck. If you remember the old long play record albums, the needle could get stuck. And then it just repeats itself. It hits this groove and goes back and repeats itself. It hits a groove and goes back and repeats itself. Well, you know what? That is what was happening here emotionally, in heart, in soul, to the prophet Elijah. And I love how God is so gracious that he lets him uh, do all of these things before he continues to whisper the encouragement that he will need. Because it goes on to tell us after the second time when Elijah explained to God all that was happening to him and crescendo into this point, I alone am left and they've sought to take my life. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel, king over Aram. You shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over over Israel, and you shall anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, as prophet in your place. In other words, God said, It's time to get up and go forward, son. Let's go. There's things for you to do. Here's what I want you to do. And then later you remind him, There's 700 left in Israel. You're not alone. But you know, when we're running away, when we're hiding, when we're overcome with something, we tend to feel very alone, even in a room full of people among your family at a reunion or a dinner, or among the church family uh, at church or in a fellowship, wherever it is, or a Bible study, you still feel all alone. The fifth wheel, the odd man, the odd woman, out. That's what happens when we get overcome like this. But I have such great news for you because the Lord Jesus is our whispering encourager. Our key themes, threats and fear, will often come. The result is often fight or flight. We often run to hide in caves, feeling all alone. God will grant us time to breathe, though. I love that. That's a good theme here. He granted him so much time to, to, to breathe, uh, to eat, to sleep, to run off, to go to a cave, to vent, all those things. And God will always work with us. 
He never leaves us or forsake us. Now, those are the big themes, but here's, these are the message takeaways I just want us to kind of zero in on as we look at Jesus as our whispering encourager. Here's the three things if you're a note taker. Number one, Jesus, our whispering encourager, here's number one, lets us run. He lets us run. Here is the mighty prophet of God after this huge victory, and off he goes. He runs. He's fearful. Now, we may not literally run off to the wilderness and and to a cave like Elijah did, but when we run off, we, first of all, cover up whatever it is that we're guilty of, whatever it is that we're struggling with. We do not want people to see us in this condition. We want to put our best foot forward. We kind of put on these masks. We cover up that we're really struggling with something. We're running from the reality of what we're experiencing it. We cover it up. We stuff it down. We hide out. That's how we hide out, by stuffing away those feelings, stuffing away those situations, stuffing away the circumstances, just stuffing it away, pretending it doesn't happen, it's not happening or it didn't happen, or it wasn't that big a deal. We cover up, we hide out, and we numb pain. You see, when you have internalized all that pain, my friend, you've you got to have to do something. You're going to have to do something to numb the pain, to deal with the pain, to medicate the pain. And that's how we end up into addictions. In fact, if we were using more technical language, we'd call it repression, pretension, and addiction. Repression, we just push it down, we stuff it away, put it in an interior closet, lock it up, hide the key, just, okay, uh, that's fine. You just you got to move on. Just put your, just go. Just wipe your face. Wipe the tears. Press on, and you f- feel like you've dealt with it. But no, you've just repressed it. You've just stuffed it away. And then we go on with this pretension that things are all right. It's okay. No big deal. But then secretly, to numb the pain that we've hidden inside in our gut, in the depths of our heart, that's how we fall prey to all kinds of addictions. The obvious ones would be drugs and alcohol and pornography and sex additions of all types, you know, medication drugs. Those are the ones you read about, hear about, and we grieve over. But we get addicted to other things like performance-based acceptance. We get addicted to having to uh, receive the praise of others. We get addicted to work. We get addicted to shopping. We get addicted to food. We get addicted to to drinking. We get addicted to sports. We get addicted to television. We get addicted to movies. I mean, there are so many addictions. We all deal with uh, psychological and maybe literal uh, substantive addictions of all kinds. Why? Because we're trying to numb the pain that we are covering up, that we are hiding out with. And the Lord wants to free us up from that. But yet, He lets us run, but He doesn't leave us. He's still with us, and he's still whispering, come on, come on, son, come on, daughter. Uncover it, come out of hiding, come on, speak up, let's admit it. I want to heal you, I want to free you. My grace will be sufficient for you. But, astoundingly, his grace lets us run. And here's the second thing, our whispering encourager, 
Number two, he lets us vent. Because when we're covering up, hiding out, numbing the pain, we're also, we're wincing, we're crying, we're grieving. In fact, a good illustration here, a couple of things. One is, you know, in baseball, I remember I grew up playing baseball, then later tennis, and that's, and I became a tennis teaching professional and all. I love sports and uh, still work out in tennis today. But I remember in baseball, uh, you know, if you ever got hit by a pitch at the plate, on the arm, on the leg, somewhere, they teach you, what do they teach you, those of you who've played? They teach you, okay, you flip the bat, and you just run off the first, and you play the game. Do not show that you're in pain. Pretend you're not. Play ball. But it does hurt. But let me tell you something. We end up doing that in real life. We end up taking these pitches in the arm or in the head or in the on the hip or in the knee or something, and we'll just flip the bat and keep playing. I'm okay, I'm okay, so no big deal, no big deal. It's fine, it's fine. We diminish it. We uh, dismiss it. We, uh, we, we try to pretend and it's no big deal. We call it denial. But the fact of the matter is we are wincing and we are crying inside and we are grieving. And those five stages of grief don't come just when somebody dies. It's when we experience loss or hurt or pain in our life. Denial is one of the five stages of grief. And then you get bargaining. Then you got anger. Then you got depression before you get to the fifth and final stage of acceptance that this is part of life, but I have a Savior and He will get me through. But the Lord is so gracious. He lets us vent. When we get over trying to repress it and pretend it's no big deal and diminish it and, de- and deny it and all that other stuff, uh, and we start screaming out and hollering out, saying something, you know, we just, we, just, we just cry out to the Lord. Have you ever read the Psalms and see how much the crying out to the Lord is? I used to think the guy was whining, but no, he was grieving out loud. And listen, Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we know it is no sin. There's no sin there. To grieve and blame the Lord, apart from the Lord, that's the sin. But to grieve at the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I need your help. I need your deliverance. I need your rescue. That is what he's looking for. He lets us vent on the way to that confession and on the way to that, uh, that, that request that goes up to God, simply saying, Lord, rescue me. And by the way, may I just add, we're very vulnerable after big victories. You know, I remember as a young pastor coming out to southwest Florida, 24 people, no land, no building. And uh, within three years, we had our first building up. And it was an incredible miracle of God. I mean, mountaintop experience. But I tell you what, honestly, after it was done and we were in, I went through a season, a few months of some depression that I had never experienced before. And I called my pastoral mentor back in my seminary days just a few years prior and told him about it. And he just listened very patiently. He let me vent, just telling what's going on, what I was feeling. And then he said, you know, you're normal. After a big victory, we're often hit with this kind of thing. It's okay. Stay in the Lord. Work through it. He's right there. He will keep you through this. Oh, my friend, he never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always whispering encouraging things to us. And he will do this third thing every time he lifts us up.
You see, Jesus, our whispering encourager, lets us run. He lets us vent, but he lifts us up. And we see that in verses 12 and following when that still, small voice came to Elijah. Now, I know there are other portions of Scripture that say that sometimes the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon and that type of thing, but most of the time, and here, it is a still, small voice. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine, my friend. And there's a compassionate exhortation here, not a harsh rebuke, when he says to Elijah at the end of this cave experience, after giving him days and days, he was at, you know over 40 days and 40 nights, we know that, he said, all right, okay, I'll let you vent, I'll let you eat, I'll let you sleep, but there's a time to stand up and let's go. There are things to do. You're not alone. I'm still going to use you. I'm still with you. You have an opportunity to walk in my strength, in my way, in my power, and not your own. Oh, my friend, you may be in the middle of a cave these days over COVID, over lost jobs, over a lost way of life, over tremendous pressures, uncertainty about the future. How am I going to do this? I can't get my head around it. I'm not sure what the next step is. Well, praise God. You are at a place of coming to the Lord and falling at his feet and saying, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. Just give me the next step. And his still small voice will be there to lift you up, not put you down. I can't believe you've been asking like this. I can't believe it took you so long. Who do you think you are coming to me now after all this time of ignoring me? That's the enemy's lies, my friend. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's constantly sending his whispers to you. He wants to lift you up. He will do it with his compassionate exhortation because he does indeed love you more than you can possibly imagine. He is our whispering encourager. Mm. Lord, thank you so much for being that kind of God to us. You're a God of conversation, and you love to speak to us. You love for us to listen and savor every word that you say. Teach us, Lord, how to listen for that. Teach us, Lord, how to savor what you say and to walk in it, Lord, because that is how you lift us up. Oh, we receive your love. We receive your word. We receive your whispers. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, I'm Mark Gonzalez. Hey, until next time, check out my website at markpg.org to find more things to show you the heart of God.